listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. So back in March, I think it was March, we, uh, my wife and I took our kiddos uh, to Florida to visit the family for a little bit, and we went uh, just north excuse me, just south of Jacksonville to St. Augustine, where they have the St. Augustine alligator farm. Has anyone ever been to an alligator farm? You're like, no, you Floridians are weird, right? Uh, was it John Acuff said that Florida is like the real Jurassic world because you've got sharks, alligators, and pythons, and then you send all the retired folks down there and like, good luck, let's see what happens, right? Uh, Florida gets a little bit crazy sometimes, but it's fun to go and visit the alligator farm. And there's actually a part of the alligator farm called uh, Alligator Lagoon. I wanna, we've got a couple of pictures. They're not great pictures, but we can show that up there. So yeah, that's, yeah, right? That's a lot of gators, um, a whole lot of gators. There's one more, I believe, that just shows a little more uh, close-up picture maybe of some of them. Um, yeah, there, there, there's a lot of them, and we didn't get to be there at feeding hour, but you, sometimes they'll throw a, I mean, it's like it's dead. They'll throw a chicken out there and just let the gators go for it. Like, it is, it is quite the sight. Um, thank you guys for showing those. Uh, growing up, I, I went there a few times anyways to, to Alligator Farm for different, uh, whether it be a field trip or even we did some church trips to Alligator Farm. We only lost a few kids, and no, I'm kidding. Um, but that was in March was the first time that we got to take our kids to the alligator farm. And it was, it was interesting that the different perspectives of, so Lauren and I haven't been a few times and we thought it was cool, but it was just kind of running the mill like, yeah, it's an alligator farm. But Carolina Tate and Haddon were just, were enthralled by these alligators because they'd never seen it before. So the whole experience was overwhelming and exciting for them versus Lauren and I being a little more familiar with it. Like, yeah, that's cool. But I bring that up. There's so many things about the Christmas story that feel familiar. And the problem with familiarity is that it just kind of, it kind of makes you feel like you already have know-it-all or, or that there's nothing new or nothing exciting to see and, and to take in. The problem is when you approach life, but not just Christmas, when you approach the Christian life through these familiar eyes, of like, yeah, I've already seen it, I already know it all. It, one, life is just not near as fun, but also you miss out on the fresh things God is wanting to show you or that he's wanting to remind you of. This morning, we're gonna be in Matthew chapter two, which is a, a part, a good chunk of what we call the Christmas story. And I'll be honest, like, I don't doubt that you've all read this or heard this text at one point or another. But the invitation, the challenge for you this morning is to see it with fresh eyes, to, to recognize, hey, I've seen this story before, but I wanna put off the lens of familiarity, put that off and look at it with fresh eyes to see what God has for me this morning, to see how he wants to transform my life this Christmas season, even if it's your 75th Christmas season or your fifth Christmas season, God wants to move in your life. Amen? I'm going to give you a moment just to, to pray and ask that God would speak to you this morning. And, and a, a prayer I like to use sometimes, and we've used it here before, is God, do anything in me you need to do in order to do everything through me that you want to do. You could even rephrase it. God, sh open my eyes to see anything you, I need to see this morning in order to do everything through me that you want to do. I'm going to give you a moment just to pray and ask that God would, would speak to you this morning.
God, we love you. Thank you for, for loving us and for speaking to us through your Holy Spirit, through your word. And we entrust ourselves to you now. We ask that you would give us fresh eyes to see this story. It's your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the, in the days of King Herod, Wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So, so the, the king of that area, that region, King Herod, you may know him as Herod the Great, he hears there's another king to be born, another king of the Jews, which Herod was ruling, so to speak, as the king of the Jews in that region. And it makes him nervous and it makes the whole area nervous that there's something brewing, right? Something big is about to happen. Verse four says, so he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And then he quotes they quote Micah 5.2, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem. Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. Now, if you know anything about Herod, you have to believe, the little uh, Haddon Robinson used to say that you have to have a sanctified imagination to read the Bible appropriately. So using our sanctified imaginations, um, you have to believe that when Herod said, yeah, when you find where he, was, where he was born, tell me so I can go and worship him too. You have to believe that some of the, the people that were near Herod, it says it was a secret meeting, but when they heard that he had told the wise men this, you have to believe that they rolled their eyes. Mm-hmm. So, so Herod can go and worship this new king. This is the same Herod that out of fear of being usurped, of, out of fear of his throne being overthrown, he killed three of his sons. He killed his own flesh and blood to protect his throne. Excuse me, to protect his throne. Do you think he really wants to go and worship this new baby who's supposed to take over his throne? No, 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 no. Herod's up to something. Hey, you, so I can worship him too. No. Verse nine. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up! Take the child and his mother. Flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. 
So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death so that, was, so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt, I called my son. That's from Hosea 11.1. 1. Then Herod, when he realized he'd been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. Then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, because those who intended to kill the child are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and entered the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the region of Galilee. Then he went and settled in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Four truths, there's a lot in this text, but four truths by prayer that, I'm praying that we embrace this morning from this text. Number one, those who want all the glory get all the misery. Those who want all the glory, all the fame, all the attention, what they actually get, what, what they, the return they get on their investment is actually all the misery. This is what we see with King Herod. He's He's prideful and he's insecure. And he thinks by, by attaining his, what his pride and what his insecurity wants, that he'll find joy, but actually it just leads him further away from joy. Do you see, like, I feel like Herod's pride, his insecurity kind of jumps off of these pages, right? As soon as he hears there's a new king to be born, he's deeply troubled and he sets out a plot to try to kill this new king. As I love, or it's interesting, verse seven says, Herod secretly summoned the wise men. See, insecurity breeds secrecy. When, when you're insecure about something, you feel like you have to have all these separate side conversations, right? And then later in, in verse 16, it says, when he realizes that he's been outwitted by the wise, man, the wise men, he flies into a rage. He's, he's angry because he, ah, the king got away. I'm still under threat that someone could take my throne. He's prideful and he's insecure. And because he's prideful and insecure about the throne, he goes into a rage. He becomes terrifyingly angry. What you get angry about is a dead giveaway for what you're insecure about. What you get angry about is a dead giveaway for what you're prideful about. You don't get your way. Things don't turn out how you expected and you fly into a rage because you're nervous that if, if you don't control everything, that you won't be at the center of attention. You won't get all the glory. But the reality is those who want all the glory get all the misery because it, pride and insecurity, they lead you away from Jesus. And in this story, quite literally for Herod, two reactions. Herod hears that Jesus is gonna be born and he he flies into a rage he, and he 
is trying to do away with Jesus. The wise men, they know Jesus is going to be born. They make their way toward Jesus. And what did it say? What was their response in verse 10? When they saw the star, they go and they see Mary holding Jesus. What was their response? They were overwhelmed with what? With joy, with jubilation, with excitement that Jesus the Prince of Peace, the one who will satisfy all our desires, who will meet all our needs, who, as the Psalms say, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. He's finally here. See, when you recognize that Jesus deserves all the glory and the honor and the praise, that leads you to joy because it leads you to Jesus. But when your pride and insecurity are driving your life, it just leads you further away from Jesus, which leads you further away from joy and further away from peace. See, when you recognize that Jesus deserves all the glory, you then center your life appropriately in God's plan. You're getting in in line with the order of, of the creation. See, living a life of pride and insecurity is like driving on the wrong side of the loop. <laughs> I, I don't advise this, but after church, if you just decided you were gonna go out and drive, uh, I see some police officers in here. I'm not actually telling them to do this, okay, Jeremy? <laughs> but if you went and got on the loop and, and drove on the wrong side of the loops, so you're going against all the flow of traffic, you're gonna be stressed out and nervous and anxious and working hard the whole time trying to dodge cars, you're going against the flow. That's not how you're supposed to drive. So it's gonna wear you out and you're gonna feel like you're always slamming on brakes or, or pressing the gas to get around somebody. It's gonna be a terrible experience. That's, that's what chasing pride and insecurity is like. You're going against the created order of things. And so you're always on edge. You're always stressed because you're going against how God created you to live, which is for his glory. Like if you, if you drove around the loop backwards or like the wrong way this afternoon that I saw you tonight, you would be so frazzled. If you were still alive, <laughs> you'd be so frazzled and stressed from what you'd experience. How many of us are frazzled and stressed because we've been living a life of pride and insecurity and it's just pushing against the wrong way that God created us to live and it wears us out. What we need to do is, is carefully and intentionally get off the loop go backwards down the exit, I guess, still not advised, and go and get on the right side, get in the proper flow of things and begin to live a life that seeks to bring glory and honor to God and doesn't seek to find fulfillment from other people or the praise of other people, but seeks to find fulfillment only in Jesus. Those who want all the glory, get all the misery. Let me ask you, when you're you're out playing sports, when you're playing your instrument and band, is it for the glory of Jesus or is it just because you want to be cool? When when you're in school, are you trying to make good grades because you want people to be impressed with how smart you are or are you doing everything for for the glory and honor of God as it is unto God? When you're at work, are you just seeking that next position, that next platform because of your pride and insecurity that you're trying to fill up or are you trying to make sure that, you know, just whatever I do, I want to use it as a platform for the glory of God to tell other people how amazing he is in whatever career field I'm in. With your family, with your parenting, are you trying to be a perfect parent so others will be impressed with what a great parent you are? 
Or are you trying to be a godly parent to reflect your perfect heavenly father? Those who want all the glory get all the misery. Number two, second thing we need to embrace this morning. Nothing and no one can stop God's good plans. Nothing and no one can stop God's good plans. You know that God is purposeful. Like, I remember one time I was talking with a student who, unfortunately, I'm not, this is not a knock on all of LCU, but this student was at LCU, and they were being taught in an Old Testament class that God doesn't have a plan. He's just kind of willy-nilly. That's what we call heresy. That's unbiblical. We don't believe that at all. God does have a plan. He's working his plan out, all things for his glory and for our good. He's purposeful, but God is also powerful enough to carry out his plan. Do you see in Matthew 2, this is, this is part of the unfolding of God's plan. It's interesting if you look closely at this text, it's like the whole time you can see Satan lurking in the shadows. Back behind the scenes, trying to make things happen. See, everything in life is spiritual. While Satan is not mentioned in this text, you better believe he's in this text. Satan, unlike God, see, God is all-knowing. Satan is not all-knowing. He finds out, the enemy, Satan, finds out that the king of the Jews, the king of kings, the Messiah is fixing to be born. And all of a sudden, he starts trying to influence Herod. Uses Herod's pride and insecurity to try to figure out where this king is going to be born. But did you see through the text, all through the text, God is always one step ahead of Satan. That's actually, under, he's probably like a million steps ahead of Satan all the time, Right? Satan doesn't want Jesus to be born. This is the culmination of God's plan that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter three, when God proclaimed that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. So Satan realizes this seed, singular, this child is fixing to be born. My head's fixing to get crushed. (laughs) That's what Satan realizes. So he's doing everything he can to stop this plan. But again, God's always one step ahead of him or multiple steps ahead of him, right? Verses seven and eight, Herod's like, yeah, tell me where this child is born so I can go and worship him. God knows what Satan's up to, knows what Herod's up to. So he tells the wise men in verse 12, hey, don't go tell Herod where Jesus is. Just go a different route. Verse 13, an angel appeared to Joseph. Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there. Why? Because God knew that Satan was gonna use Herod and fix him to kill all the baby boys, two years old and younger, in and around Bethlehem to try to stop God's plan, to try to hinder God's plan of salvation. God tells Joseph, no, let's, let's, let's go to Egypt, which actually as we saw from Hosea in verse 15, had been God's plan all along. And then even again in verses 22 through 23, God again warned Joseph, hey, don't take the boy to the Judean area. Take him up north to Galilee to protect him because even Herod's son is out for blood. 
Satan over and over again, the enemy over and over again, using his puppets like Herod, trying to stop God's plan of salvation, trying to stop God's good and perfect plan. But God is always one step ahead of him. Nothing and no one can stop God's good plans. It's like if this was a chess match, a chess match, it would, it would be a joke. Like God's like, if you, if you do that, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, I'm do this. Like nothing you can do, nothing Satan can do, nothing anyone can do can outsmart God's good plans. If, if God's plans are a waterfall that can't be stopped, Satan and his enemies or, and his uh, cohorts trying to stop God's plan are like little pebbles on the edge of the waterfall. They're just shoved out of the way as if they didn't exist. Nothing and no one can stop God's good plans. What are his plans for you? Romans 8 says his plans for you are for you to be formed into the image of Jesus. That every day you will look a little bit more like Jesus. Psalm 139 says that he's written out his plan for you. He's written your story in his book. Philippians 1, 6, that Paul says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God has a plan to grow you, to make you more like Christ, to make you more of an influence in the kingdom. And nothing can stop that. No hardship you experience can stop what God is doing. See what you can do? You can breathe. You can trust that God has a plan for you and he's powerful enough to carry it out. You don't have to worry. You don't have to try to hold it all together to make it happen, to try to force it. No, God is powerful enough carry it out. There's nothing and no one can stop his plans. You know, it's hard. It can be hard to see God as good when life is not good, right? There's something that happens in the in this text that is just terrible. I want to read it again in verse 16. It says, Then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. And keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men, then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. That's awful, right? Uh, you don't have to raise your hand. I'm just curious. Anybody in the room have um, a two-year-old son or younger just kind of in that ballpark? Would you just raise your hand, just kind of get a picture even in this room? I see several. Talk, talk about loss. 
Your family didn't do anything wrong. Your two-year-old boy certainly didn't do anything wrong, or gosh, for that matter, your six-month-old boy. But because of the insecurity of a fool who thinks he's a king, Roman soldiers barge into your house and rip your little boy out of your arms. That's grief. If you just zoom in and all you can see is that little part of the story, it's kind of like, it is heartbreaking, absolutely, and it feels kind of hopeless. But if you could take the lens and kind of and zoom out, see the bigger story, you'll see the third thing I want you to embrace that is so crucial. That there's hope even in the greatest grief because God gave us the greatest gift. Simultaneously, it's not either or, simultaneously in this terrible, heart-wrenching, needless pain inflicted by a sinful fool, at that same time, God was still carrying out the plan of salvation to end all grief, to end all tears. See, the New Testament, I think it's John tells us in his epistles that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And there's coming a day where forever and finally Satan's head will be crushed. There'll be no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow. Jesus is bringing into the grief because Jesus is the greatest gift. The clouds may be dark with the tears of grief, but the hope of Jesus still shines. Friend, I don't know what loss you're experiencing even right now, maybe loss of a job or loss of your spouse or loss of a child. No grief can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing that can pull you apart from his love. Psalm 34 18, I believe it is, says that God is near to the brokenhearted. That's what Christmas is about, that in the middle of the mess, Jesus is here to carry our mess with us. No, excuse me, not with us, for us. <laughs> that he would come and pay the price for our sins, even the sin of Herod. Jesus is the greatest gift of all. So in the struggle, there's still hope. In the darkness, there's still joy. Not because you got it all together. No, because Jesus came to rescue us. His light shines bright in the dark. So because of that, we hope in him. And friend, I wanna tell you, we, we must hope in him. The fourth and final thing I want to, us to embrace this morning, our fourth and last point is this, that Jesus is the only forever king. He is the only king forever. Jesus is the king. Amen? Verse 19, kind of easy to pass over, 
Remember, Herod this whole time is trying to, he's trying to buy time as king. He's trying to, he wants to kill Jesus or any other potential threat to the throne. He's insecure. He wants to make sure he's the king. But verse 19, after Herod died, Herod spends his whole life insecure, prideful, trying to make sure he's number one. But Herod died. Friends, we, if you read the rest of the story of the gospels, Jesus died, but something happened three days later. He rose again and reigns forever. Amen. Matthew 28, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says, all authority has been given to me. All authority. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of gods. No one compares to him. He has no rival. Philippians 2 says, there's a coming day when on the earth, under the, under the earth and in heaven, every knee will bow to King Jesus, every single knee. I wanna read Psalm two for you. You're welcome to turn there with me. Psalm chapter two, Psalm two. It says, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? It's a genuine question. It's like, why do they waste their time? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Let's tear off their chains and throw the ropes off of us. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. <laughs> you guys are trying to take me down? You guys think you guys have power? <laughs> the Lord ridicules them. Then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. So now kings be wise, receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the son or he will be angry and you will perish in your rebellion. For his anger may ignite at any moment, but all who take refuge in him are happy. Jesus is the only king forever. He has no rival. No one rules with his power, his might, his justice, his perfection. You know, other, there's been other leaders throughout history who have tried to set up an earthly kingdom and tried to rule. But they'll all bow the knee to Jesus, whether it be Napoleon, whether it be Hitler, whether it be Stalin, whether it be the Ayatollah, every single one will bow to King Jesus. Every single one. Those who want all the glory, <laughs> they get all the misery. So find joy in living a life that brings fame to King Jesus. Nothing and no one can stop God's good plans. So cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you and he's strong enough to carry you. There's hope in the greatest grief because Jesus is the greatest gift. Listen, you weren't promised a pain-free life, but you were promised that Jesus would never, would never leave you nor forsake you. You can rest in his goodness and his love for you. And Jesus is the king. He's the only king forever. So we pursue him. We submit to him. We give him our allegiance. And yes, 
and amen, we worship Jesus forever. Even right now, would y'all stand? Would y'all sing with us? If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 